I am getting ready. Uh, in a few days, we will be doing some traveling. I know many of you are traveling at some point this summer. Summer is a season of, of travel. And we are going on a long road trip where I know uh, eventually the question will be asked. It's asked on every road trip with children. It's the question that children have been asking through the ages. It's the question that when you're on a 10-hour road trip and you're about 15 minutes into that road trip, the famous question of, let me see if you know it, are we, are we there yet? It's amazing that kids still ask this question in today's day and age because it's not like when I was growing up. In today's day and age, like they have DVD players in the vehicle. They, they have reclining chairs. They have iPads and cell phones that they can play games on. But it doesn't matter because there is this question that comes into every child. I don't know where it comes from, but whenever that trip starts is, are we there yet? Now, some of you go, I can't even believe today's kids that they even would ask that question. They're so spoiled with their reclining chairs and their DVD players that uh, they can watch whatever movie that they want. Some of you are like, I remember the day, you know, when I, we, we used to ride horse and buggy to where we were going. And, and you know, so it, it's the age-old question of, are we there yet? And it's not just children that ask that question of, are we there yet? Because that's a question that actually continues throughout our life. If you ask any 14-year-old and, and you say, you know, are you there yet? No, I'm not there yet. I'll be there when I'm 16 and I'm able to get my driver's license. If you ask a 16-year-old, are, are you there yet? Nope, I'm not there yet. I'll be there when I'm around the age of 18 and I graduate from high school and I'm able to go to college. If you ask any college student, are you there yet? Nope, I'm not there yet. I'll be there when I graduate from college and I get a house and I get a spouse and two and a half kids and a dog to go along with all of that. It's this question that we all have asked through the ages of, are we there yet? And we, ask, we look at the kids and we see that there's a discontentment in being where you are because you want to... Not, to go where you want to know how fast you can get to where you are going. And it's this question that actually we all live with, if you will, because it's this question of am I there yet? It's a question of fulfillment, a question of, of satisfaction. And what happens is we live with this question of am I there yet? So you go, am I, am I there yet? Because I really thought when I got married I would feel more there than I actually feel right now. Am I there yet? I really feel that when I graduated and got the, the perfect job that I wanted, that I would feel more there than I am feeling right now. I don't feel there yet. It's this question of, am I there yet? Well, I, th I thought when we had children that I would, I would achieve that ultimate sense of satisfaction in my life, and I would feel like I had arrived where I was going, like I was there. But the, here's the problem with human nature. What we do is we arrive there only to create a new there. And, and we do this because we constantly are seeking for that fulfillment, that satisfaction. We go, okay, I wanted to get here, but now that I'm here, I can say that this is good, but it's not quite what I thought it was going to be, and so I'm going to create a new there. And then we get to the new there, and we go, Okay, I've been wrong a few times now. I thought I would feel more there than I do, so I'm going to create a new 
there. And we live with this gnawing, if you will, of when am I going to arrive? When am I going to feel true satisfaction and true fulfillment like I have arrived where I am going and the destination has been worth the journey? It's this question that Jesus is wanting to answer in this passage uh, that we're reading. And see, the background of this is that Jesus is about ready to fulfill his mission. He's about ready to go to the cross and be crucified, a horrible death. And then he's, he's going to raise from the dead. And he gathers together his guys. His, and he's talking to them. He's giving them some final words, if you will. And he starts by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Well, why would he say that? Well, obviously, this was going to be a troubling time for his disciples. And he's, he's wanting to coach them through. Listen, this isn't going to be easy, but don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And as I go to prepare a, a place for you, this place of, of heaven, I'm going to come back and I'm going to draw you to myself. And, and he, he asks that, he tells that question. In fact, let's look at it together. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you, what's that word? To what? To myself. Okay, that's a little bit odd there that he chose that word. Wouldn't you think he would say, I'm going to go there and I'm going to take you to heaven. I'm going to take you to my father's house. You know, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and then we're going to go back to dad's house. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to what? To myself, that where I am going, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And then we've got a couple guys that we're going to hone in on there that are listening to Jesus. And one of them, the first one that speaks up, his name is Thomas. And some of you, a few of you in the room may remember Thomas. His nickname is actually Doubting Thomas. He's the guy that after Jesus rose from the dead, that of all of the disciples, he was the one that says, nope, I'm not going to believe it until I see it, until I can actually put my hands in his hands and see the, the nail marks in his hands. I'm not going to believe it. And then Jesus walks through a room and shows him his hands, and he says, how about now, Thomas? And Thomas is like, oh, my bad, didn't mean to do that. You know? And so he's that guy. And so you just got to know that Thomas is the one that lives with doubts. He's the one that gives us hope. Hello? He's the one that, that the, when I read and I go, my doubts that I have and the things that I struggle with, there's, there's an answer here. There's an answer for me because we've got a disciple here named Thomas that lives with doubt. And he, he says to Jesus, this is what he said, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So he's like, wait, what, Jesus? I hate it when you talk like this, like you, you tell us not to let our hearts be troubled, but then you speak in these really troubling terms, Jesus. Like, you know, you're like, I hate it when you talk like this. You're like 10,000 feet in the air here, Jesus. You're, it's all this big philosophy. You know, I'm going away, and where you, you know where I'm going, and you know the way, and, and I'm going to come and take you to myself. He's like, I don't understand what you're, what are you saying, Jesus? How, we, how do we know where we're going, and how do we know the way? But if he would have just paid attention to what, Jesus said, he would have understood that Jesus is actually saying, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to take you to myself. Jesus says this in, in response to Thomas. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So wait a second. 
Let me get this right. You are the way, and you're where we're going? That, how, how much sense does that make? It's like, kind of, how, how you like them apples, you know? So you're the way, and you're the way to get to where you're going, and when we get where we're going, we're actually arriving to you. So you're the way to get where we're going, and you're where we're going. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the way, and I am the where. I am the way, and I am the where. So that brings us back to the creed. That brings us back to this 110-word creed that we have. And of the 110 words, 70 of the 110 words are, are about Jesus. So that kind of gives you the importance of like how important Jesus is to this, this whole thing. There are a lot of things that you can get wrong. Those of you that would call yourself a Christ follower, there's a lot of things that you can get wrong. There's a lot of things you can maybe disagree about or have struggles with or maybe have doubts with. There's so much that you can struggle with, and God's okay with the struggle. But here's what I'm here today to tell you. If we don't get this right, if we don't get the, the Jesus part of this right, we have major problems. Hello? Let me ask you just a question. And let's, let's just get, I'm going to actually have you raise your hands. Let's get an honest response here in the room. When you read the Bible, what are you looking for when you read the Bible? How many of you would say, I read the Bible and I'm looking for the story of, of myself a little bit? Come on, I'm raising my hand. How many, you say, kind of looking for me, okay? How many of you would say, when I read the Bible, I'm looking for the way to live? Like, I, I, like, a, uh, you know, like instructions on how to live. Here's what I want to do. I want to tell you that both of those things are in the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those things. And listen, like 10 of you raised your hands about, like, you look for yourself. Listen, if I gave you a if we took a picture, a group picture today, and I handed you the group picture after we were done, and, and what's the first thing that we look for when we see a group picture? Who do you look for? Yes, so we do the same thing when we read the Bible. We look for ourselves, and then we're looking for the way to live. But here's what I want to tell you today. That, that is not actually the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is it is a live roadmap to Jesus. The whole thing is about Jesus from beginning to end. In fact, let me prove it to you this morning. In the Old Testament, we have the anticipation of Jesus. This is like he's coming. The whole Old Testament is just telling us he's, he's, he's going to come. He's going to come. And then in the Gospels, we have what's called the incarnation of Jesus. And some of you are like, Incar what? I don't even understand what that word means. The incarnation is just, just means that Jesus came in the flesh. He was actually here physically with skin on where, where humanity could see him. So in, the, in the, the gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they actually write about the incarnation of Jesus. And then you have the book of Acts, and that's actually just the proclamation of Jesus. And then you have what's called the epistles, and those are the letters that Paul writes to the different churches, and that's where we get much of our theology and our doctrine from. These are actually just the explanation of Jesus. And then you've got Revelation, which if you're newer to the faith, listen, I don't encourage you to start uh, in Revelation, but I, I, I will just tell you, Revelation is like the consummation of Jesus. And in other words, that's like how it all wraps up, and it all wraps up in Jesus. So let me get this right. The Bible starts with Jesus. You've got Jesus all over the middle of the Bible, and it ends with Jesus. The whole thing is about who? It's about Jesus. And so 
as we look into the creed and we look into these words that we say here at Saints Community Church every single week, I want you to understand what you're saying. So as we come to that part of the creed that says, I believe in Jesus who? Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just help you for a second and just dispel the myth that Christ is Jesus' last name, okay? Okay? It, it is not actually, he, Jesus is not from the Christ family, okay? Like, it, it's not like, yeah, you know, Jesus and Joseph Christ and, and Mary Christ and Jesus Christ, you know? No, no, it's not. Jesus is, is the, the word Christ is not actually a name, it's a title, okay? The word Christ actually means, in its original language, it means the anointed one. We, we refer to it as the Messiah. You could, you could say the chosen one, the liberator, the savior, the Lord, the only one, the one who would save the world from their sins. If you like Marvel or DC, you know, he is the greatest superhero in the world, okay? He literally was the one, the one who would come to save everyone, to save humanity, to liberate the world from their sins. He's the one, Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And then as we look into the creed, we say his only son. So what, is the, what does that mean, his only son? Well, here we see the relationship between God and Jesus. And we see that the only son, God's only son, actually means his only son. In other words, there's only one. He is unique, and he has this relationship with God where he is, he is uh, God's son, and he is the absolutely only one. There will never be another son of God's. He is the only son of God, Jesus, God's only son. But it also <clears throat> helps us understand and refer to the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Now, some of you are like, I don't understand what you're talking about when you say divinity. Divinity just means completely from another place, okay? Completely uh, uh, supernatural, if you will. Completely from heaven, not from earth. Humanity, human, okay, is earthly. Divine is heavenly. So he is fully God and he is fully man. And that goes back to our story because there's another guy here named Philip uh, and he gets it all messed up in the story too. And it's like, man, like poor Thomas and poor Philip, like they only have bad lines in this whole thing, you know? It's like at least Simon Peter had some good lines, you know? Like at least Jesus, when Simon Peter talked, was like, yeah, you got that answer right on that rock, on what you just said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then a few minutes later, he got it wrong because then Jesus is saying like, get behind me, Satan, you know? But, but, but you know, Philip, really, it's only bad lines in here. Here's what Philip says. He says, uh, and Philip actually, what he says is, Jesus, I... I don't understand, he says, how, if you could only show us the Father, then we would understand this whole Father thing, and we would understand God more, and here's Jesus' response. Jesus is like almost, you can hear some frustration in his voice. He goes, Philip, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the what? The Father. How can you say Show us the Father. In other words, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus is actually God, not only God's representative 
of the Father here on this earth, on this planet, he actually is the Father. Now, some of your mind is about to be blown here, okay? So Jesus is God's Son, and they have a unique relationship, but then Jesus is also God. He's God's Son, and he's, he's oh, wow, okay, we're going to spend some time here. There's three of you that are getting it, okay? He's God's Son, and he's all at once. So can we worship him? Absolutely. We are supposed to worship him. We are supposed to adore him. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of adoration. He is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He's God's son, and he is God. All God, all man. Jesus Christ, God's only son. A really smart guy uh, that wrote some really incredible books named C.S. Lewis actually said it like this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Wow. So let me make this clear this morning. Those of you that have said yes to Christ, that are Christ followers here in the room, I want to help you understand this. Jesus is a great moral teacher. Jesus is an incredible prophet that came. Jesus also is the, the model of how to live your life. He is all of those things. He's a teacher. He's a prophet. He's a model. He's a good guy. He is, he is so much of those things. But I want to make this clear. He's not only a good, good guy, a great teacher, a prophet, and a model. He is also God. And the way that I explain it to people that say, well, I believe he was a prophet, and I, but I don't believe he was God, then I say, well, how about this? Jesus actually prophesied himself to be God. He actually prophesied himself to be the son of God. So if he was a prophet, then his prophecies had to be true, right? Yeah, if he was a real prophet. Well, if he was a real prophet, his prophecies had to be true, and he prophesied himself to be God. So if he's not God, if you don't believe he's God, then you believe he's a false prophet, not a real prophet. And they go, oh, I guess you got a point there. Because Jesus prophesied himself to be God and to be the son of God. And he says, C.S. Lewis says, either that or he's a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Which brings us to the next part of the creed. Jesus Christ, his only son, our what? Our Lord. Jesus Christ is only Son, our Lord. The Greek word here uh, that, that the Bible was written in is actually the word kurios. You can say it kind of like curious, okay? Kurios. And the word, actually, it occurs all throughout the New Testament and also occurred in the Roman Empire. And it basically, the meaning of it is absolute ruler, the, the supreme ruler over all. And in order to understand this, I want to just bring you back a little bit to help you understand the Roman Empire. At the time that this was written, it was actually written during a time that, that Rome kind of ruled the earth. 
and, and their, their empire was all throughout Europe. It was throughout the Middle East, and it was also on the northern coast of Africa. And, and the Roman Empire only had two rules for all of the different countries and the different peoples that they ruled. The only two rules that they had were, number one, pay your taxes. Isn't it amazing? Times haven't changed, you know? So pay your taxes. That was the number one rule. You got to pay taxes, Lord, to, to, you got to pay taxes to, the, to Rome, okay? And then the second rule, they only had two, was you have to declare with your mouth, Caesar is Lord. So all throughout Europe, all throughout the Middle East, all on the northern coast of Africa, we only had two rules, the Roman Empire said. You got to pay your taxes, and you got to declare that Caesar is Lord. And this, my friends, is why Christians, people that were following the way, that were following Jesus, this is why they were slaughtered by the thousands. Let me help you understand something. They were not slaughtered because of their religious beliefs. They were not slaughtered because they talked about Jesus. They were not slaughtered. They weren't even slaughtered because of the crucifixion or the resurrection. That was just another religious belief. They weren't slaughtered when they said that Jesus was the way to salvation. Let me tell you why they were slaughtered. They were slaughtered because Christians refused during that time to declare that Caesar was Lord. Why wouldn't they declare that Caesar was Lord? Because they knew that Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That Jesus was the supreme ruler of all. He was the absolute ruler of everything. And so they refused to say Caesar is Lord. Isn't it interesting that there are people all over the world that are still being martyred and still being persecuted in, in, in countries all across this planet? Why? Because it's a power struggle, my friends. The power struggle is you're going to bow down to someone else, to another government or another person or another dictatorship, and you're going to declare that they're the supreme ruler of all. And as Christ followers, listen closely to me, there may come a day, I pray it doesn't happen, I don't want it to happen, but we may all be faced with this decision of declaring that Jesus is Lord and no one else is. And I'm telling you, friends, listen to me closely. When that moment comes, I want you to have it in your heart. Jesus is what? Lord. He is the supreme being. He is the ruler of it all. He is the only one. He, there's no other God before him. There, there, that he is the, the first and the last, the beginning and the, the end, the alpha, the omega. Jesus is Lord. He rules over everything. And sometimes I feel like if we could get this in our heart and we, and, and, and we would all say, if I was to take a survey, hey, if you're faced with that decision and you have a moment in your life where you have to say Jesus is Lord and it could cost you your life, most of you would say, I would say it. I would say Jesus is Lord even knowing it would cost me my life. But I say that we have maybe an easier time saying that in our death than we do living that in our life. Because if Jesus is Lord, and if we really believe that, we wouldn't have to feel like we had to control our own destiny and our own future, right? We could live with this sense of he's in control. He's the supreme ruler. He's the one. And so I can live with the security and the safety of, of believing that he's sovereign, that he is the only one. Now, why, 
Why did these early believers, and believers still today, why were they so sure, like beyond a shadow of a doubt sure, sure enough to be, to, to, to be sorted to death or to be thrown to wild animals or in the great Colosseum? Why were they so sure that this was the one, that Jesus was the one? Well, they understood the messenger, they understood the message, and they understood the mission of Jesus. So let's start with just talking about the messenger for a second, which brings us to the next part of our our creed. The next part of our creed says that he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he was what? Born of the Virgin Mary. So Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Here's what you have to know. 700 years before Jesus was ever born, there was a prophet, someone that foretold of the fact that this would happen. 700 years prior, somebody said, this is going to happen, and he's going to be born of a virgin. Let's read it together. Isaiah seven fourteen says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then we see it happen in the New Testament. Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. And we understand that when we believe that this actually happened, this was an event that actually took place. Now, there is no other event. Only the resurrection will bring out as many skeptics as the virgin birth. Because you go, how? How could that happen? That, that, it doesn't compute in our brain. But you remember last week, if you were here last week, the whole point of the message last week was that God is infinitely powerful, right? And then what else is he? See if you get it. He's also incredibly personal. Thank you for listening. Okay? He's infinitely powerful, and he's incredibly personal. Well, if he's infinitely powerful, here's what that would look like. Wouldn't it mean that he could come down to earth, and he could rearrange the the rules and the law of nature? Right? Couldn't he? Like, Like, couldn't he do whatever? That means he can invade any space and do whatever he wants to do because he's not actually governed by the laws of nature. So God isn't necessarily governed by gravity. God isn't governed by the way that birth happens with the rest of us. In other words, God can come down and he can do whatever he wants, which leads us to understand that, that you go, well, how could God actually, by, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and give a virgin birth? But here's why. Because God is infinitely powerful. He doesn't live by the same rules that you and I live by. He can literally do whatever he wants, right? And this is actually, if you, if you can get this in your heart and you can believe this, this is actually what pushes people over the fence about their belief in Jesus. This is the kind of the drawing line in the sand, this virgin birth thing about Jesus. Now, that's cool. What's really cool is that I think it's cool that he's infinitely powerful and he literally can, can come in and, and do whatever he wants to you. And, and God creates, you know, birth where there was no birth. Just an amazing thing. But uh, that's not actually the point. Here's the point. Here's what I want you to understand. The point is not just that he's so powerful that he can do that. That's cool. But the point is actually that he became one of us. Hello? The point is that he came. Here's what's cool. Through the virgin birth, God became man without ceasing to be God. Through the virgin birth, God became man without ceasing to be God. 
And, and that forces us to confront, is he, uh, was Jesus just a good guy? Yes. Was he somebody that was martyred? Yes. Okay, then he rose from the dead. Okay, was Jesus someone that, that, that meant, he didn't mean to start this whole religion, he was just a revolutionary? Well, he was a revolutionary, and he did start this whole thing, but here's what I'm, I'm trying to help you understand. If we believe in the virgin birth, we believe that God actually performed a miracle by a virgin birth, but in the middle of him doing, showing how powerful he was, he actually became one of us. Emmanuel, God with us. He came. He's that powerful, and he's that kind, that caring, that he's so powerful to create the virgin birth and for that to happen, but then that he becomes one of us. So then we have the rest of the story about Jesus, and let me just summarize what the creed says. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He will come again. To, he will come to judge the living and the dead. You say, uh, man, all of that has, is, is so power-packed, and all of that has so much in it. And I wish we could hang out on all of those statements. Here's what I want to help you understand understand here today that after he, he, he was born a perfect birth, he lived a perfect life. And by perfect, I mean there was not an error. There was not a sin. There was not a bad thought. There was nothing that Jesus did that didn't measure up to the standard of God, the perfect one. Why? Because he was God. So he lives this perfect life. 33 years into his life, after he had done ministry for three years and gathered his disciples and done more in three years than you and I could do in a lifetime, Jesus actually uh, dies, and he dies a horrible death, a gruesome death under a guy named Pontius Pilate, and then he, ri he rises from the dead. In the, in the middle of all of that, he descends into hell, and I wish we could hang out there because there's so much to talk about right there, but we, we don't have time uh, to talk about that. Here's what I want to help you understand. Why am I going on and on about Jesus today? Because here's what I want you to understand. If you're taking notes, the five of you that like to do that, please write this down. Here's what I want you to write down today. Jesus doesn't get us where we are going in this life or in the next. He is where we are going, and he is the way to get there. If we're not careful in the church, Jesus becomes a means to an end. Here's what this looks like. Maybe you got invited here today by somebody. Somebody cared enough to say, hey, this, this the uh, Saints Community Church and this guy named Jesus really changed my life. It's been an amazing journey for me. I really want to get you in on on my journey and and all of that. And so you you came because you maybe you came because you said, well, uh, I mean, I, I could try that. I I think I've tried a lot of things in my life, but I think you know maybe religion would be good, you know. And so I, I you know, I'm 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 consider myself spiritual, you know. So I'd I'd like to be more spiritual, and I think that could better. My life, I think that could be a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's how we are as humans. We want to do things to better our life. That's obvious, you know. But, but here's what I want to help you understand. Jesus is not the means to a better life. So in other words, Jesus is, I want, a, I want a better marriage. Okay, so if I add this Jesus person in my life, is that like my means to a better marriage? 
or as the band comes, I, I want to, you know, I want to get that job. I'm praying for that, that job. I need that raise that I'm praying for. Listen, and I say, I, I want you to get a raise. I, I'm praying for you too. Listen, let's pray together. Let's pray for all kinds of needs today. Let, like, let's pray for so many things. I want you to pray for me that I win my fantasy football league coming up. I mean, th- there's so many things that I want prayer for, that, that I want to pray with you for. I, I pray on Fridays for over all those prayer requests. We, we come together and we pray over the needs in our church. But here's what I want to help you understand. Jesus is not the means to the end. He's not like, oh, I want to have a better fill in the blank, so I'll add Jesus. No, Jesus is actually the destination. Did you realize that your life can't get any better? Let this sink in. Than the day that you said yes to Jesus. The day that you said yes to Jesus is Savior, Lord of my life. I'm going to actually begin to live my life that way. I'm going to give my life to him. The day that you did that, your life doesn't get any better. Some of you go, wait a second, what? You know why? Because you're still living with the, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. I'm, I'm not, I haven't arrived where I'm, I'm going. You say it doesn't get any better than this? Pastor, please tell me it gets better than this. I want to help you understand. In the scope of humanity, on the scope of this planet, the whole point is Jesus. The point of the Bible is Jesus. The point of this life is Jesus. The point of this next life, like, because here's what happens come to church, you go, okay, yeah, maybe I'll try this religion thing, and then, like, you hear, oh, there's, like, an up, and there's a down. There's, like, a smoking and a non-smoking. Well, I want to go, I want to go to the non-smoking. Sign me up for the non-smoking, okay? Like, yeah, I mean, if that's part of the deal, dude, I'm in. Yes. I don't want to go to the smoking part, you know? So, so we say Jesus is the way make sure you don't go down and he's also the way to have a better life and I say he's the way to make sure that you don't go down that you go up he's the way to a better life but more importantly he is the better life as I as I'm preparing this week for this I'm going God please if there's ever a if there's ever a talk that I want our church to get and to understand, this is it. Because here's what I want to help you understand. It is Jesus in the beginning. It is Jesus in the middle. It is Jesus at the end. The whole point is Jesus. Every morning, Jesus. As you lay down in bed at night, Jesus. When, when you go to the next life, Jesus will be there. He actually helps us understand that he's going, the, the reason why heaven is going to be so amazing is because we'll be with what? Jesus. So how does this change our life? Here's how it changes our life, my friends. Two words, and I want us to say these words out loud, okay? Here's the two words that I want you to get in your heart as you leave. I'm content. I'm content. Let's say that together. I'm content. Come on. I'm content. I'm 
content. Let's say it together. I'm content. I'm good. But wouldn't you be better if you know if you were making a little more money? Ah, probably, but more money, more problems, you know? Biggie was right. I'm good. I'm content. I know, but aren't you like, don't you have goals and plans? And aren't you trying to arrive somewhere? Aren't you trying to better your life? Yeah, not, nothing wrong with goals and plans and trying to get better at life. Absolutely, I want to do all that. But at the end of the day, guess what? I'm good. I'm content. Well, don't you want a different house? Eh, I'm good. I'm content. This changes my relationships. Now, wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church where you could sit down and have coffee with someone and know that there was no ulterior motive for them to be there with you? Come on, you all know what I'm talking about. You all have that friend that's gotten together with you and, and then everything's going good, but you're waiting for that. You're kind of waiting for that. Why are we really here right now? Like, what's the point of this coffee, you know? And then, oh, hey, just before you go, if I could grab your phone number, I just want to, I, I, I just opened this new business. I want to share this. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. Wouldn't it be good if I could sit down and not need anything from you? Why? I already have everything I, I need. I have Jesus. I'm good. Well, what about my finances? What about getting the latest, greatest, whatever? I'm going to tell you just a, a little journey that I've been on with the latest, greatest, whatever. One of my dreams in life was to get a boat. And I'm just telling you right now, I've had this boat that I've had for like four years, three, four years. I think I've used it three times. And we have spent so much money getting it repaired over and over because they say the greatest thing in life is when somebody buys a boat, that's the greatest day of their life. And the second greatest day of their life is when they sell that boat. And I'm trying to sell it right now. I don't need the latest, greatest, whatever. Why? I have Jesus. I don't have to have that, that new bendangled whatever. Why? I have him. I have Jesus. The Apostle Paul understood this so well. Here's what, it, here's what he said. He said, Philippians 3, 11 through 13. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be. What's that word? He's content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me, who strengthens me. Now, Paul, here's what you got to know about Paul's life. Sometimes he was eating with the richest of the rich, and he was in those settings. Other times, he didn't have anything to his name. He was so poor. Other times, he was so sick, he was being shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, jailed, okay? Other times, his health was in great shape, and his life was going well. Paul is saying, it doesn't matter if I'm rich, if I'm poor, I'm good. When, I, when I'm having good days, I'm good. When I'm having bad days, I'm still good. Whatever happens, whatever comes my way, whatever trouble I have, whatever I face, 
It doesn't matter at the end of the day, even if it leads me to death. Why? Because when I die, I'm really good. I get to be with him. I'm good. I'm content. Jesus is not the means to an end. Jesus is the means. Jesus is the end. Jesus is everything in between. He is the point of it all. Every head bowed and every eye closed across this room. I want to offer you something this morning that is... Beyond religion, I want to offer you something that is beyond a certain do these things, don't do these things. Here's your moral code that you have to live by. I want to offer you something that's not about striving and trying to please God in some way, shape, or form. I want to offer you not a what but a who I want to help you understand that the reason why all of it the reason why the virgin birth the reason why the perfect life the reason why the the cross the horrible suffering and persecution and torment the reason why the resurrection the reason why was for you it was for me it was so we could have relationship with God the Father and relationship with Jesus the Son and relationship with Him so so we could walk with Him, so we could talk with Him, so we could live with that ultra contentment in our hearts every day because He is my Lord, because He is my Savior, I am okay. I'm good. 